Genesis 13, open your Bible there. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. That reminds some of you of your younger days, doesn't it? I saw you out there nodding. I can too, I understand. Genesis chapter 13, we're talking about, we're, we're looking now mainly at the life of Abraham, but then all of a sudden we merge with another character tonight. And we did just a little while last week. We're talking about handling strife among the saints. I'd like to tell you there was not any strife ever among the saints, but I would be lying if I said that. That's just not true. There's usually strife among the saints all the time, at least somewhere in the church, in a class or in a choir or in a wana or in, in, in children's choir or among the deacons or somewhere there's strife. I thank God we have less of it here than any place I've ever been. And I'm grateful, but I hear other pastors talk, and there's stuff going on all the time, just strife. And, and when strife is going on, not much else can happen. So tonight, I want you to just look at how we're going to handle strife, because it's not a matter of it's not going to come, because it is. So we just need to handle it. Can I just get an amen there? So let's look at how Abraham handled it, and as a result, we'll kind of learn how we should handle it too. First thing we looked at last week was in verses 1 through 5, and it was, we looked at the Christians that were involved here. Um, they had left Egypt, and uh, the, the, uh, Lot and his family left Egypt and began to follow Abraham. There are two now. We've been mainly looking at Abraham. He's just the man of faith, but now there comes a matter of strife because there's two parties. You have to have two parties, you're going to have strife, right? So that you got the rotten party, you got the righteous party. I'll let you put the two names to that any way you want to. But you have to have two parties if there's going to be strife. In the Bible, the strife spiritually is described to us by two words. One is a spiritual Christian, the other is a carnal Christian. And so when a spiritual Christian and a carnal Christian come together, guess what happens? There's strife. You don't see alike. You don't think alike. You don't walk alike. You don't talk alike. There's problems when Christians who are carnal, that means you act like you're lost. Doesn't mean you're lost. Means you act like you are. And when you come in, in uh, when you move into the breadth presence of a spiritual person, there will be strife. So Abraham drifted out of the will of God, went to Egypt, but now Abraham comes back again a spiritual man. We know it by three characteristics. I mentioned them last week, so I'll not say a great deal about them. Just write these down. Number one, separation. He removed himself from Egypt. He didn't try to stay in Egypt and stay in God's will. You can't stay in Egypt and stay in God's will. You got to get out of that place. So he left Egypt, moved on. Secondly, he was sanctified. It's sanctification. You see, sanctification is not so much separated from. That's kind of more legalism, okay? But sanctification is separated to. 
I'm separated from that's akin to legalism. Not wrong with that. You need to be separated from some things, but mostly we need to be separated to him. And we're separated to him. We won't have to worry about those things we need to be separated from. All right? So we see him sanctified here. And uh, notice that he gets back to the house of God, Bethel, and he pitches his tent. Why did he do that? He pitched his tent to let us know that we're only here temporarily. He didn't build a house. He didn't build a city. He pitched a tent. Because he was saying, I want you to know, I'm right dab in the center of God's will, but God told me to pitch a tent. Why? Because I'm just a pilgrim and a stranger in this world. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And so he's, he's, he's giving a message when he puts up this Bedouin-like tent. And obviously, Abraham must have had a tremendous one. And you know why it means so much to us tonight that Abraham goes and pitches his tent because he's a spiritual man? In 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul takes that same word, tent, or it's really a, a, a physical tabernacle. It's the same word used for the tabernacle. What was it? A big old tent. And so in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, when our loved ones die, the Bible says our old tent wears out and we put it off, but God don't leave us naked. That means floating around out there without a body. He gives us a new body. And there he says, a home not made with hands. In other words, God said, I'm going to take you out of a tent and put you into my mansion. And so tent dwellers just shows we're just waiting for the mansion as we walk through this life. Don't get too attached down here. Get those tent pegs where you can pull them up quick. Never know. And when God will call you somewhere else. And then thirdly, their sacrifice, he built an altar. That means he was ready to offer his life to Jesus all over again. He had done that once, but then he'd stepped out of the will of God. And so now he calls again upon the name of the Lord. He probably was singing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. So we see him sacrificed. Now let's look at Lot. We see Abraham, who's a spiritual man. Now we see Lot, who is a carnal man. In fact, you and I both would agree if you looked at Lot and looked at the way he lived, looked where he lived, looked how he was at living, looked at the, at the things that was going on around him, look at how he was representing God, in our own minds, we've got to say Lot's going to hell. Lot is lost. He looks lost. He acts lost. Talks lost. Walks lost. I mean, he is lost. But he wasn't lost. He was saved. You see, he wasn't a lost man. He was a carnal man. There's a difference. A lost man's going to hell. A carnal man's going to heaven, but just by the seat of his britches, you know? That's what he's saying right here. And if you didn't, if you want to know where you can find the verse for that, look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. And the Bible tells us clearly that he was a just man or a justified Christian. He was no doubt influenced by Abraham and the faith of Abraham as he had, was reared by this man. 
who knew God in a family that talked about God. I mean, Abraham's family uh, had to talk about God because they didn't have anybody else to talk to. So they talked to each other about God and about the things of God and what God would have them to do. And so Lot had to listen to that stuff as he was coming up and growing up. You don't know how blessed you are if you got reared in a Christian home. Oh, you're blessed. You're blessed. I tell you, if I go wrong, if I turn on Jesus, I have no excuse. My mama loved Jesus with all of her heart. My daddy was a soul winner after he got saved. And I tell you, I I have no excuse. If I go bad, it's me. It's not the way I was raised. I was a rebel child. Stayed that way a long time. That's the way I wanted my life, but it wasn't because of the way I was raised. You know, get the, I literally saw my daddy pick a man up, take his fist, and knock him out the front door. He was some kind of salesman who'd come to our house. <laughs> my daddy come, I don't think he ever came back, but he'd come to our house, and, and, and you know, People that sold stuff, they went door to door then. You didn't just go into a store and buy it. You, 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 some things you couldn't even order, and you certainly couldn't go online. You know, Amazon wasn't in business at that time. So this guy was there trying to sell us insurance or something. I don't know what it was. I, I was a young boy, but I, I remember that man said a, a cuss word in our house. Well, my dad said, listen, in this house, we don't talk like that. He said, well, I'm sorry. A few minutes later, he said another customer. My daddy said, I told you the last time, we don't talk like this in the house. Well, he was so used to doing it, next thing you know, he lets out another. My daddy picked him up, took him to the screen door, kicked the screen door open, and knocked him into the front yard. Obviously, he missed the sale that night. But anyway, if you was raised in a Christian home, you don't have an excuse. So Lot... With all Lot did in his life, he didn't have an excuse for it. No excuse for it. He didn't say, well, I was raised in the projects, or or, I I was raised on welfare, or I I didn't have a daddy, or I I didn't have a mama. Nobody cared for me. He couldn't give any of those excuses. So notice as we go on that Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith. So that's how we know that just Lot was saved. He was justified by faith. Now, he also, in verse 5, was issued the blessings of faith. God was blessing Lot because God was blessing Abraham. Now, getting that? God was blessing Lot because God was blessing Abraham. No doubt, Lot uh, had been close to the Lord at one time in his life. Maybe it was as a teenager. Maybe it was a young adult. Maybe it was a child, but I'm sure one day he came out of church or came out of the altar place and saying it pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every step of the way. I think that was Lot's heart at one time, but things began to change. And those worship times around the altar started being lesser and less. When I start seeing people in church come less and less, less and less, Sunday morning, but they leave off Sunday school. Uh, Sunday morning, but then they start leaving off Sunday night. 
Sunday morning, but then they're, now they're down to no Wednesday night, no Sunday school, no Sunday night, and about every other Sunday. You can watch it happen. I watch it happen all the time. You just watch it happen. You see, I think Lot began to quit going to the altar less and less. Quit going to the altar, which was called what? The house of God, Bethel. The place of sacrifice. But he quit going. Some of us tonight might be lots. Now, I know this is the cream of crop on Wednesday night. That's why I don't chew you out on Wednesday night. I don't do it. My, my young and said, Daddy, won't you just do all the time like you do Wednesday night? There's no night. You, you, you're halfway nice on Wednesday night. Sunday morning, you act like you're mad at the world. I'm mad at the devils who I'm mad at. I'm mad at hell charging us instead of us charging hell. And so I guess they're right. But the reason I do that on Wednesday night is because I figure anybody comes to church on a Wednesday night has a desire to understand the Bible. And so I study it so I can try to give you as much of it as I can. But when you start backing away from the Word, you'll start backing away from Jesus. Just, just mark it down, mark it down. When you start getting unconcerned, when you start, uh, your faith starts to struggle, when there becomes apathy in your life, when you're uh, building and buying and testing and emailing and, and doing life without God, you find yourself way away from the altar. Uh, you know, it's a scary world we live in today. I don't, I, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat that for you. But I'm glad we've got someone to call on for a solution. Abraham called upon God. Lot moved away from God. Now, he was issued the blessing of faith, verse number 5. God was blessing Lot. All these things started coming from God. Why don't we see that? If God blesses us, why don't we understand where they come from? James tells us every good thing comes from God and the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. In other words, the same God of yesterday is today and will be forever and he's the one who gives good things. And if you get blessed, they come from him. They didn't come from your hard work. They didn't come from your brilliant mind. They didn't come from your manipulation. They come from God. And uh, he's getting blessed by God, getting more, more camels and more sheep and more donkeys. And, and they just keep coming and, and more kids and more servants and, and, and grandkids and great-grandkids. They just keep coming. Those worship times became few, but God was blessing him because of Abraham. But number two, it involved a conflict. There was strife. That means just to get in a fight, basically, to wrangle, to, to just to, 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 to go at it back and forth. Go at it back and forth. Just go at it back and forth. That, it means a contest, actually, where we wrestle and try to pin the other one down. A whole lot of people use the Bible like that. They don't love the Bible. They don't even love Jesus or the Bible. They just want to take the Bible and pin you down with it. 
Let them try it on me. They ain't pinning me down. I know too much of it. And you don't have to too, know too much of it to mess their heads up. So listen, know enough of your Bible so that when any man asks you a reason of the hope that's in you, you can give it to them. Okay? So the two things cause the strife, space. Space. Strife in church usually becomes over space. Some places cannot accommodate two dominant figures. Some churches split, and not all splits is good, but some splits are good. Y'all hearing me? You see, you, you said, that's not, you can't preach that, Brother Glenn. I said, yes, I, yeah, I can. Because we need to put distance between our group and their group. If not, we're just swapping sheep. What in the world's wrong with us? We've got churches on every corner. And somebody said, I need, well, I think Lebanon need another church. Let's go build one of those, you know, under the river, over the hills, and through the rock tree. You know, we'll, we'll name it something like that. I wish they'd name one the flat top church. Hey, man, wouldn't that be good? But you see, sometimes there's just not enough space. There's not enough room. I, I, I was talking to the guys or somebody this week, and I was telling them, listen, in, in, in a five-mile radius of this church, we have evangelized this place to death. We've picked fruit and fruit and fruit and fruit. we picked everything we can. And sooner or later, in a town this side, you're going to come to the place where you're not getting chunks of fruit. You're just getting fruit one at a time. And so you add another bunch in there that is different and they're trying to pick the same fruit you're picking. There needs to be a distance between them. There's a lot of places that need a church. You know how many churches our association's got in it? Over 40. Over 40. And we led the association in baptism in half for the last several years. And this was our lowest year ever in baptism. 40 churches in Wilson County. 40. That's just Baptist. That's not counting the Methodists. That's not counting the, the, the Episcopals. That's not counting the Lutherans, even though they don't count. But, you know, they, it's not counting any of those. You know what's wrong with us? We've confused people so much. Well, so there's church there, church there, church there, church. Where should I go? You know why? Because we didn't put distance between us. When I come here, we started thinking about building, and we had to. We were just absolutely flowing over yonder, bursting at the seams, didn't have place to sit, didn't have place to park, didn't have any land, didn't have anything. Where you're sitting right now was woods and, 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 and uh, a little, a little uh, runoff creek down through here and, and a bunch of trees, and they'd do drug deals in between here. And I mean, it was just things was just... Just like that. We, we didn't have just barely enough land to put a church on, and then we could park about 30 cars. And, and this is honest truth. I've told this before, but we had a deacon who got angry because we, I, I said, listen, who cuts the grass around here? Well, you know, 
we just, some of us just all, you know, every now and then, whoever volunteers, they'll come and just cut around the church. I said, well, what about that stuff that's out there on the other side of the parking lot? It was fescue up this high. I mean, it already topped out, fell over. I said, who gets that? Oh, well, we got a deacon. He rolls that for his horses. I said, he ain't rolling another one of them for his horses because it's going to be cut. If I have to cut it myself, and I did some. You see, they just sometimes there just needs to be some space. There's not room for everybody to reach a lot of bodies. Nah, y'all didn't get that. But anyway, you'll understand it one of these days. You see, when you, the second thing was size. The growth had created strife. They had grown to a point to where there was strife. It, it started to increase quickly, and their servants began to fuss among each other and fight among each other. And, 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 and there was a, they were struggling against each other in the field and, and those kinds of things. And, and, and I wonder how many tonight, how many family fights and how many church family fights have been caused over the fact that money stops love and starts war. Just size. So, well, we need to build a bigger church. Well, maybe not. Maybe we need to build another church in a different place. A light place where there's law. Heartsful needs. It's been the burden of my heart. We need a Holy Ghost-filled church in Clark's in Artsville. We say, well, that's the smallest county in the state. That don't mean they ain't got a bunch of lost souls. That's some pretty deer over there because one of them nearly run over me, a 10-point buck nearly jumped on top of my tr- while I was over there visiting. Why, why don't we, we want to build, build? We got now Church Row in Lebanon. Just go down Level Pike, and there they are. One here, one there, one here, one there. It's fixing to be another one over here. You know why they build out there? Here's why. That's where the money is. <laughs> you say, you don't know that. You don't know it's not. Are you sitting anybody building on this side of town? No, no. You see anybody building out here just right on the edge of this side of town? No, no. This is the poor side of town. Not everybody over here is poor. Right across the street from me, this guy lives in a mansion. People ask me where I live. I said, I live on First House and Rome Pike. He said, you believe in that big old mansion? Yeah, man, it's nice. Nice. Tay Stone used to live here. It's a monument to history right here. But <laughs> sometimes size will cause us to in problems, you know? And here's my philosophy. I've taught it to our church ever since I've been here. I know how to build a Sunday school. I don't know many things, but I know how to do it. Now, you have to have some people who can teach. You have to have some people who's gifted to teach. We struggle finding gifted teachers. We can find teachers, but we can't find gifted teachers. That's why sometimes we've got a large Sunday school class because we don't have another gifted teacher to take them and start another class. But sometimes the best thing that can happen to a Sunday school class is another Sunday school class. 
And so that's the way you grow a church. You have a Sunday school class here, it gets full. So people start to get edgy. And people say, oh, my, I barely know. There's no room. I can't put my purse down. I can't put my coat down. And so what do you do? You go start you another Sunday school class. And you get five good people who love Jesus. You put them in there for long. That thing's full. What do you do then? And you go start you another Sunday school class. It's exactly how the classes were started. I took the first young adult church in this class, in this church. We didn't have any young adults. The only one was in there then is old adults now. Nathan, forgive me, wherever you are. I had Nathan and Tammy and Barbara Aldridge. That was it. And Tom, when he didn't have to work at VA Hospital. That's all we had. And me, at that time, believe it or not, I was young. And I said, we don't have any young people. We're going after them. We're going after young people. We're going after children. We're going after teenagers. Because all I see out here is a bunch of blue hair. And it's time that we go after some young people. And I meant it. And we did. Next thing you know, we were busting the seams. So we started another class. And that Gary, Gary Landers took that class. And then we started another class. And every adult class we have now, except our two senior adult classes, came out of the one class that we started when I came for the young adults. Now we're at 648 last Sunday. Then we was under 100. You see, size... But if you say, this is my class, and I don't, I don't care if 5,000 gets in here, I'm going to stay right here. You selfish rascal. Yeah, you're selfish. Size. You see, size means your budget grows. Oh, it gets in your pocketbook. Size means you have to have staff. We, we didn't figure that out here until we was running 350. I did it. I was the staff. And then, now when staff grow, had to have buildings that grow a little bit more to house your people. Everything starts to grow. If you're not careful when those things start happening, there's strife. Okay? Number three, there's confrontation. When there's strife, it usually comes down to a confrontation. If there's a carnal Christian, you just cannot deal with them without confrontation. They're just not going to get it right. They could get it right, but they won't. So there's confrontation. In verse 8 through 10, you, you can see what happened. He said, Abraham said, let there be no strife. We don't need this mess. Between me and thee, between my herdman and your herdman, we're brethren. What are we fighting about? Jesus died for all of us. Why are we fighting? And look, he goes on to say, it's not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. He says, time we split. It's time we put some distance between us. He says, why? For the whole land's before thee. If thou will take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. You see, that's the difference between a spiritual Christian and a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian says, I want first pick, and that's what I want. Spiritual Christian says, you go which direction you want, we'll take this one. He didn't argue about it, didn't fuss about it. 
Look, you see his concern in verse number 8. He said, if we don't do something about this, we are going to lose our testimony because we're right in the middle of Canaan and they're idol worshipers and we're the only Jehovah God worshipers here. And if we don't do something about this, we're going to ruin our testimony. Look at his concern. Why? Unbelievers in verse number 7 he was concerned about. It's bad enough for believers to disagree, but among the unbeliever, it really ruins your testimony. Right? And so he was concerned about that, but he's also concerned about believers. He said, We'd be brethren. We'd be brethren. We, we would say it today, We are brethren. The things that unite us are far, 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 far more important than the things that divide us. We're brethren. You say, What makes us brethren? Jesus Christ. Are you saved tonight? If you're saved tonight, then you're together with the rest of us. We're all balled up in Jesus. We, we all come from the heart of God. So we are. So Abraham was concerned over this. He knew that the strife would spread if it wasn't stopped. So he makes a decision. Third, secondly, look at the council. What was the answer? Separate. Go separate ways. Lot had to leave Abraham's family. He'd been with them all this time. He had to leave Abraham's family. That was the only sane thing to do. God, in other places, this happened. You remember a lady named Hagar? You remember that Sarai was getting old and she couldn't have a child, and so she said we need to make sure that we get God's promises fulfilled like poor old God couldn't handle it. So you just go into my handmaid and you have a child by her. And so she had a boy by the name of Ishmael, remember? Yeah, it's in Genesis 21, verse 9 through 14. You can find it. Well, when Ishmael got up a little bigger, he got to making fun of their little son. And so next thing you know, there was problems. And so Sarah comes to him. Now listen, Sarah's the one who started this mess in the first place. She said, honey, it's all right with me. You can go in her tent tonight. And that's a dumb woman, number one. But she said, I've had enough of this mess. She goes or I go. So Abraham sent that woman and her child away. He put distance between them. But then he went to her while she was sitting in the shade, burning in the desert. He said to her, it's okay. I'll take care of you. And not only that, I'll make you a great nation. That's why we have Muslims today. That's it. Had Sarah shut her mouth and let God... Do his business. Things might be different in our world today. But if she hadn't done it, some of us would have done it, right? And, and that's, that's the counsel. And so Abraham saves his family. Look at the courtesy in verse number 9. Abraham didn't flaunt his senior position. He didn't say, listen here, you little runt nephew of mine. You little nappy-headed Little, little stupid-looking boy that I brought along. I should have left you over there in the first place. You wasn't worth nothing then. You ain't worth nothing now. 
He didn't say that. He didn't need to bring him. Shouldn't have brought him. But he did. But look what he says. He, he says he don't flaunt his position. He, he don't say he don't even flaunt his eternal promise. He was willing to give up his rights to stop the strife. Y'all didn't hear that. He's boss man. He's the guy who got the promises of God given to him for the rest of the world. For thousands of years to come. And he gave up his rights to the best land that God had promised him if he wanted it to stop the strife was among them. Y'all think about that. The next time you've got that mess stirring in your heart and you've got your mouth a-flopping somewhere, you think about that Abraham was called a friend of God. And he was willing to give up his rights to stop the strife. When many of us won't even give up our seat to let a lost person have it. That's the courtesy. Look at the cure. They separated themselves. Many today don't do the biblical thing. They just keep butting heads. Have you ever, I don't know what it's called, but you ever seen it where they show those, those, those rams butting heads? They get a running start and just pit each other right in the head. And then they turn around and do it right again. Then they turn around and do it again. Turn around and do it again. I said, those are Baptist goats right there. <laughs> Butt your head. You'll butt your head, you'll butt your head against anything to keep from giving up any rights. I've been here longer than them. I deserve this. I give more than they do. I deserve this. I'm telling you, there's not one person in this building. If you joined this last Sunday, or you joined three weeks ago, or you joined 35 years ago, I'm telling you, there's nobody better than anybody else in this church. We're all saved by the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for that. And by the way, some of us who's got a little age on us, remember, in our younger days, we wasn't much either. Help me. But look at the choice. Lot made the choice. Lot made the choice. His choices revealed his character. Your choices and my choices reveal our character. So circumstances of life will reveal what's on the inside of us. You see, sometimes a church will get jostled a little bit, and you'll think everything in it's pure water, crystal clear water. But you jostle that thing, and when you jostle it, whatever's in it spills out, and you find out what's in it wasn't what you thought it was. If you want to know what somebody's like, let God jostle their life a little bit. Show you what they're like. So there is the choice. It revealed his character. You can have a great big strong oak tree sitting outside your house. Most of us love them, dear love them, you know, the old acorns. And it can look like it's a monstrosity. I got one beside my house. You can't, you, you have, I can reach that far and then have to go to another side and reach that far to get around. It's huge. No matter how long it's been there. 
Terry Stone may have planted it. I don't know. But been there a long time anyway. Terry might know how long, but somebody may have told him. He wasn't alive when it was planted. I guarantee you that. And, and I, we, we love that oak tree. And somebody told me they was fixing to come, said there's somebody, my wife called me. She said, there's somebody over here right now, and they're, they're starting to cut stuff off that oak tree. Man, I hit my truck. I buzzed over there. I ran that demon-possessed red light, and I got home. And I said, what in the world do y'all think you're doing? We trim your trees. I said, you do not trim my trees. So they cut about one little limb off so the, so the uh, house drop didn't touch it and they left my big oak tree alone. But you know what could happen tonight? That great big oak tree, no, I can't see it, uh, but inside of it is hollow because I got about 42 squirrels living in there. <laughs> Troopers kill 14 of them. But he, they, they've learned, so they're real close to the fence and all I got to do is come down and get across that fence and they're safe. A wind could come tonight, and you think that's a big, strong tree, but a big, strong wind could come tonight and jostle it, and it fall over, and you find out what was inside was rot. Tonight, your choices makes all the difference. Next week, I'm going to talk about some of those choices. I meant to do it tonight. But I overlap too much, so I, I apologize for that. But I will tell you tonight, your choices reveal your character.